<laughs> Donna, everyone. One of our uh, newer members this last year. Well, friends, this morning we're picking up a sermon series entitled Hoping for the Future. You see the graphic that this is a picture I took and made. No, just kidding. Pastor John did that. I was just trying to get credit for it. But uh, no, we're continuing a series through First Thessalonians, which is actually most likely the earliest letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. Acts 17 concisely narrates the story of when Paul and Silas arrive in Thessalonica, plant a church, but then are quickly driven out by some from the local Jewish population. This might help some, explain some of the resentment that you heard from Paul in our reading just now. I love the Apostle Paul. He is a remarkable historical figure. We know that he endured countless troubles in order to share the gospel in unreached places. This man was stoned, shipwrecked, whipped, beaten, imprisoned, just to list a few. When he went to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, Paul got working right away. We know from elsewhere in Scripture that Paul would often supplement his income by building tents, working with wood and leather. This is most likely how he got by in Thessalonica. Paul says in verse 9, You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not burden you while we proclaimed the gospel of God. Paul works so he can feed himself and not depend on the people that he's trying to share the gospel with. And he knows that working Having a trade, how you work, how you conduct yourself in business, how you treat other people actually provides opportunities to glorify God and show the love of God. Missionaries today are usually funded by donors and churches, but oftentimes they'll get a job in the local community because they know being in the workplace allows you to make relationships, build relationships like Paul did. Paul is working during the week while he's in Thessalonica, but on the weekends he goes to the synagogues. As Acts 17 says, he argued with the Jews from the scriptures, trying to prove to them that the Messiah had to suffer, die, and rise again. Well, only a few Jews in Thessalonica, come to faith. But a great more Gentiles become Christians, not the people that he's arguing with in the synagogue, probably the same people that he's rubbing shoulders with in the market. Maybe a number of customers that he built a tent for. 
Imagine Paul saw greater success making relationships with the people that he encountered through work and his daily interactions, much more so than the time he spends arguing with the Jews in the synagogue. It's right here in Acts 17. A great many more Greeks come to faith. Only some of the Jews. Paul says in verse 10, You are witnesses how pure, upright, blameless our conduct was towards you. Back in verse 5, he says, We didn't come to Thessalonica with a pretext for greed. Paul is trying to make it abundantly clear that his only motive in coming there and building these relationships with these people is so that he could share God's love and hope with them and how he lived his life, how he conducted himself in his work and how he treated people. You ever wonder what drove Paul, what drove Paul to such great lengths to care for these people, to share the gospel with these people, to go from town to town, working night and day to feed himself, facing constant hostility, and yet Paul continues even during his imprisonment, until his death, Paul was uncompromisingly committed to sharing hope with his life. Now, of course, Paul's motivation and his strength comes from God. The living God that he first encountered on the road to Damascus, right? The living God that sent him to be a gent, a, an apostle to the Gentiles. The same living God that you and I can encounter. The same living God who sends us. Paul's hope is real because he knows God is real. He's seen the risen Jesus. And he willingly endures all because he knows the glory that is to come isn't a fantasy. It's not make-believe. It's real to Paul. The hope is real. As he says in verse 13, this is not a human word. It's the word of God. Not a human message. Not a human religious bureaucracy, not a human hope, and not a hope in humanity. This is the word of God, Paul says. This is the hope of God, and it is real. In the Bible, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not an emotional high. Hope is not circumstantial. In the Bible, hope is expectant waiting. An excited waiting. In fact, the Hebrew word for hope is actually often translated as wait. Waiting might drive some of us a little crazy at times. I remember uh, Christmas as a kid. 
uh, early in December. My mom, this was actually her fault. It wasn't my fault. She put the presents out early that year, like early December. And what was I supposed to do? I was just a little kid. And so I would take the presents that had my name on it, and I would tear little holes in the packages just to take a peek but the holes would get bigger and bigger because I would need to see what it was. And then I would try and tape over the holes and, and fix what I had ruined, but I was caught. And so the next year, my mom moved to a number system. And so instead of you know, this present saying, well, it's for Dan, it was for child 74320. Um, <laughs> and there was like a really complicated code that went with our present system. And one year, she actually lost the list. <laughs> and I opened up this present that's a remote controller to an Xbox that I think I'm going to get later. <laughs> so she's just open it. Oh, Mom, so I guess I'm getting an Xbox, too. Oh, thank you. I couldn't handle the anticipation, the waiting. Waiting can be hard, but surprisingly... Life is so much harder, even darker, when you have nothing to wait for. When you have nothing to look forward to. But the good news is, friends, that with God we always have hope. There is always something to wait for, always something to look forward to. In almost every case, the Hebrew word for hope or wait is used in reference toward God. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You can also read that as hope in the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Hope. In the Lord. Christian hope is waiting for God. Yes, hope points us to God's eternal future and the coming of Jesus Christ and the new creation and the kingdom of God and all the beautiful things that that entails. But Christian hope also includes hoping for today, here and now, waiting for God every single day. Wait for the Lord, hope in the Lord, trust in the goodness of the Lord. Regardless of situation, hope trusts in the goodness of God. It's an eagerness to see God show up every day and do something beautiful. Not just in the end of all things, but here and now. Paul says in verse 13 that the word of God, the word of God is at work among you. The Greek word for work is energeo, energeo, where we get the word energy. The Greek word is energy for work. This same word of God is at work, friends, in you, as it was in the Thessalonians. The word is actually in the present tense. God's work is active here and now. God's energy 
The great German theologian Jorgen Moltmann, uh, who I met once, he touched me on the side of the shoulder, but he wrote A Theology of Hope in 1965. It's a very important book. And in it, he laments that Christian hope in many churches has been reduced to merely the saving of the soul after death. That's all hope is good for. Of course, Moltmann believes in life after death, but he also says that Christian hope is power. Life renewing power. World changing power. Christian hope, Moltmann says, makes us alive, gives us life and power and energy. Hope changes everything, friends. Think about those times in your life where you did not have hope. How dark they can be. Hope gives us strength to endure. Hope reminds us in the outcome of this grand story to put our trust and our faith in God. But most of all, hope is among our greatest weapons in the battle of good and evil. Hope is meant to be wielded, used, and shared. Hope is not designed to be kept to yourself. If you keep your hope to yourself, that hope will rot. In fact, as you share hope, you will find your own hope renewed and strengthened. Of course, there are so many people who do not have hope. It's a big reason why we're doing this series. How do we ever look at a world that is desperate for hope, that's dying for hope? And how could we not want to share? Some of us might have hope, but maybe we don't know how to share it. Well, if you look at the life of Paul, as our text seems to suggest this morning, that there is great power simply in loving someone. Or as Pastor John said last week, building a relationship with them, entering into community with them. or having character in your work, being an ethical person, having confidence in God's goodness and love. Paul's relational ethic is reminiscent of an old Scottish poem. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one walk with me than merely show the way. The eye's a better pupil, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example, always clear. Sharing hope 
isn't just sharing words. More often than not, it's actually not even sharing words at all. It's a way of living and being in this world. Being gracious, kind, loving, listening to others. Being present with them. Having confidence and faith in God. Carrying a joy that the world simply does not understand. Hope. In the classic novel, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumois, the character Edmund Dantes, a successful and young sailor, returns home from the sea to visit his father and fiancée. He is soon framed and wrongfully imprisoned at the Chateau d'If, which is a secluded island prison. Edmund is placed in the cellar, in the basement, the lowest, darkest cellar in the prison. And after six years alone in the dark, Edmund is on the brink of suicide. He has lost all hope. But in his darkest moment, a fellow prisoner, Abe Ferreira, accidentally digs into Edmund's cell. Ferreira had been digging for years, but just in the wrong direction. But the presence, just the presence of Ferreira in Edmund's cell in that moment changes everything. The contemplation of suicide completely gone. He immediately is filled with hope and possibility. He tells Ferreira, you shall be my father and I shall be to you like a son. Over the next few years, Ferreira and Edmund become the closest of friends as they continue digging toward their freedom, this time in the right direction. They encourage each other they laugh together. Ferreira teaches Edmund physics, economics, science. But most of all, most importantly, they give each other hope. They give each other hope. A wise man once said, uh, a person can live for what, uh, 30 days without food three days without water, eight minutes or so without air, but one second without hope. We need hope. Humanity needs hope. The people out there, the people in your home, you need hope. We have to remember, friends, that hope is meant to be shared. It has to be shared. We cannot contain it to ourselves. One of the amazing things about hope is that it is contagious. Just how despair and discouragement and, and sorrow can all be contagious, right? So can hope. And hope is far more powerful. It is the power of God. 
Friends, because of Jesus Christ, you always have hope. Even when you don't feel like it, even when reality itself seems to suggest otherwise, you have hope, a living hope. The question is, are you going to share it? Let's pray. Oh God, we are eternally grateful, eternally grateful for the gift of new life, hope, and the love that we experience because of you. Oh God, there might be people in this room who feel like they are in a dark cell all to themselves without hope. Lord, we pray this morning that you would crack the walls of that cell. Let your light shine through and fill each and every person in this room with an overflowing amount of hope. May, Lord, we feel renewed and strengthened because you love us, not because of what we can do or what we've done or our gifts or anything else, but just for the sake of your love for us. May we be strengthened by that, God, and may we go forth into this place, in this world, in our workplaces, in our homes, wherever you send us, God. May we be filled with hope and make it our mission to let others experience that exact same hope. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. We ask, God, that you would take our tithes and our offerings that we give you now as an act of worship and use it to continue bringing your kingdom of hope in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.